So talk straight into it. I don't know. So so I so talk into it. I'm barking like a Talk into it. Oh good god. Oh dear I did that whole phrase. Hello, you're listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Louise Goodell. And I'm Bernadine Nolan. And a big welcome to you, dear listener, for tuning in to our very second episode of Dear Reader. Woohoo! Before we get started, we want to remind you that we'd love to hear what you're reading, so tweet us at Library with the hashtag Dear Reader, and you can download previous Dear Reader episodes at SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. Yeah, subscribe. Woohoo! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, our second episode. Burn, what's our theme? What are we reading this? We're reading Spectres and Ghouls. <laughs> That's a pretty cool song. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh, we're reading number one. That's usually me, isn't it? Yes, right. darling. You better start. All right. So I took the idea of the spooky theme, the kind of ghoulish theme, mm-hmm. and I took it as an opportunity to think about what scares me the most. And it's not really ghosts and stuff, although they are pretty scary. Oh, um, we'll get your hidden fears. That's to be used against me later. Exactly, no exactly. <laughs> so I suppose the books that I've chosen might not scare people in the same way that they scare me. But I think there's a, there's a bit of an element of horror in all of them, whether it's in everyday life or whether it's about the stories we've grown up with or the issues we're having now in our potential future. <laughs> okay. So the first book I reviewed was The Bloody Chamber by Oh, yes! It was good. It was good. My heart sings. <laughs> Full disclosure, I have already read this book before, so this is a reread. Um, which there's no rules to say that I can't reread, are there? No, no, it just shows what a good book it obviously was. Uh, uh, exactly. And upon second reading, it's it's still a classic. It's gorgeous. Absolutely. I love Angela Carter so much. She's just a beautiful writer. So for those of you who haven't read her before or read this particular book before, it's actually a collection of 10 short stories. So yes. The Bloody Chamber is the longest. It's I think at least double every other story. There's some really short ones in there, but that's, mm. that's the big one. And I was reading about it online and it was saying that I think that's one of the only ones that haven't appeared elsewhere. I think there's only one other story that yeah, has, whereas so. the rest of the collection was either a radio story or it was um, in newspapers or things like that. Mm. Um, so it's a whole set of gothic sort of fairy tales and they're very – subversive they're all about hidden desires and sort of you know beautiful beautiful meanings and absolutely gorgeous descriptions of these incredible gothic sort of worlds and you know like crisp white snow and red blood and it's just yes it paints such a beautiful picture doesn't it it really takes you away I love her and uh the thing I love the most about it is most of the collection deals with issues of feminism, with a, co- a common theme being the oppressed female seeking liberation. Exactly. Which is pretty unusual for fairy tales. 
Very much so, but she's very direct and very to the point. Yeah, and and she even wrote, I mean, this is what I read after, she didn't even write them as, they're not supposed to be subversive fairy tales. They're supposed to be fairy tales in their own right. Exactly. So she might be subverting some of the themes or some of the ideas, um, and she's definitely directly referencing many fairy tales, like Bluebeard, Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, Red Riding Hood features a lot. There's a lot of werewolves, a lot of um, animal Exactly. Forms. She's just so good at what she does, though. Oh, I just love it. And, and just... really, she could be construed as being one of the first really uh, modern feminist writers. Yeah, I reckon so. It's, it's just, you know, I mean, the hero in one of the stories, I don't want to spoil it, is um, the, the girl's mum. Yeah, you exactly. Know, it's so cool. And you just you don't read that very often. And... Yeah, I just there's a there's a lot of stuff going on and it's sort of you can read it any way you want though. So I've been trying to sum up uh Angela Carter's writing style. Yes. I've been trying to think of the best way and you know she's very evocative and beautifully descriptive. And I've settled on reading this book is like plush velvet. Oh yes. It's really rich. I love it. Yeah. Yes. So dark and gorgeous and you just you want to keep dipping in and out. And... You dip in and out, but you also sink into it yeah. too when you feel the plushness of the velvet around That's it, you. Right? Oh, this is classic Angela Carter. <laughs> She's so evocative and yeah. absolutely amazing. So I loved it. And it wasn't it was spooky and there's violence and there's sexual yes. violence and there's um some pretty deep themes going on and even even if you don't think about the themes just the actions alone you know humans turning into tigers and things like this that are kind of a bit out there and a bit creepy um but it's just such a gorgeous read you know very well recommended boys yep, yep. so you know 20 million stars from me exactly <laughs> and more from me more from me well the first book i reviewed for this was the ghost stories of edith wharton mm. and for most people you would remember edith wharton as the lady who wrote the age of innocence yep. which is in house of mirth which is exactly one of my favorite books ever where she was a great observer of society and romantic foibles, not a conjurer of ghosts. Mm -hmm. And having said with the last podcast that I really wasn't a short story person, this is 11 spine-tingling tales of the supernatural that mm -hmm. come to light. And it's based on traditional England ghost stories and her actual fascination with spirits, hauntings and other phenomena. So... Although it's scary, it's a bit similar to Angela Carter. It's not, oh, who's behind you? Not that sort of scary. But there is a few different ones. The f one of the ones I really liked was one called The Eyes. And an ageing man recounts an apparition of two large eyes that he was witnessed several times when he was younger during a period when he was engaged in duping a mentee. Mm. So it's quite interesting. They've got some of the comforting hallmarks of traditional ghost fiction, but then there's the twist in the tale, and mm, you think, oh, not so scary. And then you start to read, yes, there is. So, mm. what distinguishes her work is the social and psychological realities of the characters in the books. Yeah. And that, to me, is really scary. Yeah. So the spirits that they centre on might be paranormal, but 
it's human conflicts and betrayals and everything that we encounter in a day-to-day life but set in this apparitions and love, deceit, darkness and all things creepy. Mm-hmm. Wow. How, how crazy as well we both chose um, short, short stories. Because I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not usually a short story person. No. And it's, yeah, when you get a good collection, it's great. But at the same time, it's not, it's not usually something I gravitate towards. Well, not really. But mm. that Edith Wharton is one of the classics of all time. Oh, so I'm try it because I, I do love her. I love, oh, you have to. I love House of Mirth. And Age of Innocence was really good, but I read House of Mirth first. first. So, yeah, I appreciated that one. I don't know why, it's just more, but... Yeah. But it's it's hard to think that she's the same person. Yeah, writing ghost stories. Ghost stories. Ooh. Ooh. All right, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Oof. Okay. All right, so many, so many good books. There's just, there's just so many books. Uh, okay, so my second book was called The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Ooh. Oh, I haven't read it. Please tell me more. Oh, well, it Dear is. Reader. <laughs> Dear reader. It is a post-apocalyptic road trip nightmare. Ooh. I say road trip, but they're kind of on their feet the whole time. They don't drive. Uh, so it's following a father and son as they traverse pedestrian a then world. Yeah, pedestrian. You're right. I should have said pedestrian. Pedestrian. I feel like road trip was a bit more you know, exciting. Rocky. Well, they're on a journey. It's, it's a journey book. Um, so I'll start off by saying straight off the bat, this novel was is so utterly depressing and uh, very grey, just bleak. Oh. It's, it's devastatingly bleak, utterly, it's hopeless. It is utterly hopeless. Um, and you, you can literally feel the lack of warmth and sunlight in just Ooh. coming out of the pages. It's it's a bit intense. And I you, found it intense. You want people to read this? But it's so good. It's so good. I mean, it's just... All right, tell us more. It's like, a, it's like a punch in the guts. It's great. Um, I actually stopped reading it for two days, as I told you a bit earlier, because I was just um, so so scared at one point because I was afraid I was going to have nightmares. Oh. It really scared me. But because it's about uh, humanity, you know, it's sort of what Ooh. would happen if... And you start thinking about, you know, it's, we don't, we don't know what happened. It, we assume, I assumed it was a man-made disaster, well, but the no. world's dead. And I mean like Nothing. no trees, no sunlight, like everything's gray, no food. Like you start to think oh, like, that's... it's just, it's so bleak. There's, there's nothing. The world's been devastated. Something's happened and it's been a big sudden event. And we, we meet this father and son years after it's happened so it's been years of just kind of hopeless so are they the only two left they're not the only two left there's a lot of other characters and it's all about the people they they meet in inverted commas on the way and it's it's their their whole idea is they're making their way south for the winter because the dad snowbirds yeah that well the dad character knows that they're not going to make it um because it's just going to be too cold too cold um, and it's sort of this, this journey where you're, you're expecting them to always get to this, this, hopefully this good place. And I'm, I'm not going to ruin it for you because it's, oh, please it's don't. Fine, but it's not, it's, it, it is what it is. Um, is there a skerrick of hope left? Oh, I don't know. It's says very bleak things I think about the world at the moment. Um, and I, it's sort of, I would sum it up as a, um, it's sort of 
uh, I'm trying to find where I said it. I, I feel like it's a it's a swan song from a father who know, is knowingly leaving his son in this dying world, yet has to. There's this whole thing through the book where he's, we carry the fire. We so it's it's hope. You know, oh. you you carry the fire in you, and the the father's trying to instill this. You need to carry the fire without me. You know, and the whole book it's it's not a surprise, but the dad is not doing well. Obviously and, not. Yeah, and it's just. You know, and there's everything. There's barbarianism. There's cannibalism. Like, oh. it's just full on. And he, Cormac McCarthy, I've, I've never read any of his books apart from this one. So, but in this book, he's very, he doesn't have a frivolous writing style. It's very to the point. Very to the point. Very to the point. Um, some sentences are very small and very short. And uh, I gave this book actually to someone to read when I'd finished it. And mm. he said, you need to read it. And they, they couldn't get past the first two pages because they just said if I was to hand this in as a as an English assignment I would get a fail because you don't because start a sentence with and and you don't and it's so jolting and so it just uh, but, duh, 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 but duh, doesn't and, that make you feel like you're on that journey with them and, I, and that's what and I, that's, that's what why I he's said. he's read it it, He's written it the way he has exactly, and it's so evocative, even just with his sentence structure of just the, and then we do this, and then we do this, and because of this, and it's it just one foot in duh, front of duh, the duh, other, yeah, and it's just you just keep survival going. mode, and that's yeah, it's it's just brilliant. So oh. and it's it's won a slew of awards. It's it's been turned into a movie with Viggo Mortensen in it. Oh. I've also seen the film; it is great, uh, exactly like the book. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I couldn't recommend it enough. It is terrifying because it's, it's a potential future. You know, you, yes. you think about these things and it's he's pulled out parts of humanity that you just think, oh, my gosh, it would definitely come to that and people would definitely do that and that's how that would happen. And it just, that is well, the scary part. We do have a potential situation. Yeah. There's a lot going on. There is a so lot going on, know. so you never know. Anyway, not particularly sunny reading, but, but if you're a spooky, creepy, wanting that sort of thing, it is it is worth it. I must say, you've convinced me. I'd like to give it a try. <laughs> um, and we might have to report back on each other's recommendations oh, later on um, as the series goes by, dear yep. listeners. So we'll see whose book was enjoyed by the other the most. <laughs> uh, the next book I read was The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. Now, this was actually written in 1959 and it is considered still to be one of the best literary ghost stories published during the 20th century. 20th century sorry, um, It's been made into two feature films and a play and this book relies on terror rather than horror, to elicit emotion in the reader. And it utilises complex relationships between the mysterious events in the house and the characters' psyches. So Hill House is this, I thought of it as a beautiful old mansion, an 80-year-old mansion, but maybe I was just romanticising this as I before I read it. I really and thought so, though. The location's never specified, but it's in between many hills and built by a long-deceased Hugh Crane. Now, the story contains four main characters, Dr John Montague, an investigator of the supernatural, Eleanor Vance, a shy young woman who resents having lived as a recluse caring for her demanding invalid mother, Theodora, 
flamboyant bohemian and possibly lesbian artist. <laughs> And Luke's, possibly. possibly. And Luke Sanderson, the young heir to Hill House, who is host to the others. So the whole premise is the doctor wants to find scientific evidence of the existence of the supernatural. And there are two other, other little characters in the book who are the caretakers, Mr. and Mrs. Dudley, who refuse to stay in the house at all. So how, do they, how are they caretaking? Well, they come in. In the morning. Or do their stuff and get, do out, their stuff, get out at Sunday. Prepare the meals. Um, and Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Dudley is very blunt. Uh, so strange things start to happen and you tend to think that one of the characters is manipulating the other. Then there's telekinetic abilities possibly. And in the meantime, Mrs. Montague, who's very bossy, comes and her companion, uh, the headmaster of a boys' school, arrives. So I don't know that all is rosy between Mr. and Mrs. Montague, but, dear reader, I, I go on. So there are supernatural phenomena that occur, and they're described vaguely, but it's more the relationship between the, the characters. And you begin to fear that the house is beginning to possess Eleanor and the passageways and the doors seem to move. So it, you really do have this ongoing reality check with yourself to see. Is that actually happening? Is that actually am, am happening? I that? Like, am, am I, I reading it? Wow. And doors banging, although they've been wedged open. So that gives you the ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, very good read. Was it scary? No. Oh. I didn't find it scary. Maybe I would. But... Uh, I don't know. Maybe you would. Yeah. I need to read this and then you need to read The Road and then yes. we can decide, like, maybe you might go, oh, that's not scary. And I might be like, that was terrifying. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Wow. Sounds good. It was. It sounds like a classic. Like It, it sounds like a classic. Like, that's, that's what you would want to read if you wanted to read, like, a scary story or, yeah. or, or um, you know. Well, the fact that it's been made into two movies and a play. Oh my God. I wondered if it was a movie. Was that the Catherine Zeta-Jones one? Oh, I can't remember. Because mm, the story was sounding very familiar, but then, you know, Hollywood tends to rip off a lot of stories. Well, so. it does. Um, I'm just trying to think. 63 and again in 1999. Yep. Under the version The Haunting. Oh, I've definitely seen it. Um, the, 90, the 1999 version, dear listeners, was considerably different from the novel and widely <laughs> panned by critics in, a, in an overt fantasy horror in which all the main characters are terrorised and two are killed by explicitly supernatural deaths. Yeah, I, I reckon I've seen it. I reckon I've seen it. This is it. I love how we can review books and films. Exactly, at the same time. Two for one, listeners, two for one. So... I will leave it up to people to read to see what they think actually happened in the end. And I'd be really interested if somebody else does read this to get back to us either via the website or um, just sending an email to the library about how they think the book actually ends because yeah. it it has got that um, – there's a certainty but an uncertainty to it, which is not very helpful, I know. It's all right. We can we can leave the mystery. Mystery is good. My last book is... Oh, no, dear reader. Oh, no. <laughs> Number three uh, was oh, aptly named The Long Goodbye, Coal, Coral and Australia's Climate Deadlock 
Dun, dun, dun by Anna Crean. Oh, I've been wanting to read that. It's tremendous. I will I will talk you up. It is it is a tremendous read. Uh, for those of you not familiar, it is from the Quarterly Essay, which is a series where they get uh, writers to write an essay of about 20, 25,000 words, words. Um, on, a, on a hot cultural topic. And this is Anna Crean's topic. And I chose it because, true story, I was sitting on the train reading it and this woman came up to me and said, isn't that great? And I said, yes but it's a little bit unsettling. And she said, it's terrifying. And she looked me dead in the eye. It's terrifying. So I thought, oh, this is spooky. This is creepy. Real life, which makes it even Even scarier. scarier. Yep. Scary. So I don't, I would like to say uh, it is, it's very, you know, there's there's a lot of climate change debate and a lot of debate about this, this sort of theory of, is it real? Is it human? Are we influencing the climate? All that stuff. Um, I am very much in Anna Crean's park. I I wholeheartedly agree with everything with her sort of opinions. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to state that now because it is it's a political piece, and um, you know she doesn't shy away from her how she feels about it, but she's still very objective and still you know she's an investigative journalist and she's she's very good. I've read stuff of hers before and I've I've liked it a lot, but this one is. It's excellent. She's condensed such such a large argument and she hasn't necessarily made it digestible because there's there's just so much going on. Yep. There's so much vested interest. There's so many facts that aren't facts or, you know, there's there's just so much going on that to actually False news. Paint, well False <laughs> News. Mm. But to paint an accurate picture is it's it's impossible. I think you'd struggle in a hundred thousand words, to be honest, to actually narrow down um, a sort of definitive um, argument. Anyway, uh, so she's she's very evocatively painting a picture of her. She starts off saying, I'm going to go up to the Barrier Reef to see mm. this natural wonder before it before dies. Before it dies. That's it. And it's, you know, it's very um, depressing way to set up anything really. I don't know if you've been to the Barrier Reef. Or I actually did go yeah earlier this year you did that's right. I did um and one of the reasons I did go was to actually see it before parts of it did die because yeah. we forget that there is so much impacting on it even through natural causes yeah that it is a wondrous thing and let's hear what you say well it's it no it's just incredible i mean it's it's a very personal topic for me i've been a couple of times snorkeling i'm from queensland so i've been a couple of times yeah. since i was a kid and it's you can't imagine how incredible the barrier reef is the colors and the fish it's just it's unlike anything i've ever seen just the it's like finding nemo in times a million just the beautiful colors everything's amazing yeah much better and yeah exactly so you know I was already interested to read her essay um you know particularly from a personal point of view but she is she just she's just she is I can't I can't really you know I I feel like I'm, I'm not going to articulate this very well but she's just a gorgeous scene setter she sets the scenes and then she lays the facts out or she lays what she's been told so okay. and she's very 
she's very good at saying, this is what, what I've been told. This might not be the facts, but this is what this person says. This is what this person says. At These least she's stating that on. though. Yeah, which is which is excellent. You've got a base point to go from. Yeah, yeah. it's an excellent way to, to present any argument, I suppose, mm. because she's like, this is what these people are saying. You know, she talks about... Um, the coal industry, she talks about uh, different levels of government, townsville government, local governments, all these all these little bits factoring in. And she's very considerate to think about how, you know, there's some comments about Gina Reinhart saying that, you know, mining will kill Australia. And, you know, Crean sort of says, well, it, it will kill the Australia that Gina Reinhart knows. And I thought that was a really interesting way to to put that I, I wouldn't have thought about it that way and she said because everything that she knows is built around mining very yeah so that will kill her Australia if if we don't go through or if things start to collapse yeah. and it's it was just she has an excellent way of framing certain things that really make you think about it from another perspective and not not necessarily an oversympathetic perspective but just in a way that you begin to understand how something so complex actually comes from a lot of potentially simple places or, you know, mm. it's 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 just an excellent breakdown. So even if you don't agree with climate change or arguments um, against or for, it's just a really excellent overview. And I, I actually think that's all you can do is really give an overview. And she does a really bang up job. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and it's, it is, it is quite... Uh, an overwhelming topic mm. and you do feel a bit overwhelmed. And I, I read uh, an article by the Sydney Morning Herald that sort of said, well, you know, basically good try, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm very overwhelmed at the end and I'm, I'm not very enlightened. And I think, I think that's a bit of an unfair review because I, I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure she can really not overwhelm you with this topic it's it's huge it's, it's so a diverse huge topic and it's so is. many vested interests you've got like so many different companies international you've got you know and she talks a lot about the Adani coal, coal mine, mine prospects and things like that and she talks about economic policy economic stimulus there are some incredible hard science in inverted commas facts oh, about I agree stepping up production will mean for the overall global temperature. I mean, she's talking about just Australian coal mining affecting the global temperature before everything else that comes out in the world. So, you know, that's insane. That's, I don't, I can't even begin to comprehend that. Louise, this is gloom and doom. (sighs) We wanted horror burn. We wanted scary. I chose the scariest thing I could, which is the future. I don't know that I wanted to hear that particularly. (laughs) Anyway, it is a fabulous read. Beautifully executed. Uh, You you couldn't go wrong. You couldn't go wrong with a bit of Anna Kareen. No. (laughs) All right. Dear listener, we've bored you to death today. (laughs) We've just been loose. (laughs) We've just scared everybody off. They're not going to listen again. What are they going going to go? God, we thought they were so funny last time. And look, this time they've just gone, what? Just rabbiting on. All right. What's your final book? My final book is The Travelling Bag and Other Ghostly Stories by... Another short story. The Queen of the Traditional Ghost Story, Susan Hill. I put it out there. I just love Susan Hill's books. They're just beautifully written. And I haven't... I think I can't remember how many I've read of hers, but there's not one I haven't 
liked or enjoyed. Mm. So this one is particularly good because it's the foggy streets of Victorian London to the eerie perfection of 1950. And this is suburbia being invaded. And this is Susan Hill for people who don't know, also wrote The Woman in Black, which is yeah. one of the all-time classics. So I just, I love this. It's a bit like Sherlock Holmes meets uh, Dear Reader. But <laughs> in the title story, on a murky evening in a club off St James, of course it's a club off St James, darling, <laughs> a paranormal detective recounts his most memorable case one that took place in the very building where they're having their brandy and it it's just a it's just a fantastic story and it's got a little touch of revenge but <laughs> it was it was very good but he draws the story out too so you you there's this build up of what's going to happen um there's another story about a lonely boy who makes a friend and it's called boy number 21 or boy 21, depending on the version or the uh, edition that you actually read. And years later, said boy is forced to question the nature of that friendship. Then we have Alice Baker, which tells the story of a mysterious new office worker who is accompanied by a lingering smell of decay. Ooh. Ooh. Exactly. And the front room, which was quite different to the rest of them, was a devoutly Christian mother tries to protect her children from the evil influence of their grandmother, uh, both <gasps> when she is alive and afterwards. Ew. So this was, I thought, one of Susan Hill's best. Uh, it was characteristically creepy and surprising at the same time. So once again, yes, exactly. (laughs) So once again, we've got thwarted ambition, uh, supernatural stirrings, terrifying revenge uh, that will leave you wide awake long into the night. So it's, it's just, she has this uh, uncanny ability to bring up this uh, atmosphere of, of creepiness and very, it doesn't take her, pages and pages and pages to build up this atmosphere. So most of her books are actually quite small. Mm. Um, once oh, it, it is quite small, yeah. Well, it is. Once again, it's short stories. Yeah. Um, but I, I did love this. Um, there was an article in the Daily Mail. Hill knows how to chill you to the bone in the most disarming way. This collection digs deeper into the human psyche, exploring its hinterland for paranormal disturbance. With consummate artistry, Hill creates stories that prowl around your mind, coming at you from unexpected angles, invading your senses. Perhaps read them out loud to a friend. Advantage. There's safety in numbers. And I just <laughs> thought brilliant. that was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So that was one of my favourite, favourite, favourites. Um, the end pages of the covers of her books are always beautiful as well. And she's done crime novels as yeah. well. And yes, definitely. So if you really do like a quick but a very creepy read, Susan Hill's the one for me. Susan Hill. All right, mm. I have to get involved. I've not read any of Susan Hill. Oh, you've got to. 
feel like we, we have very different tastes in books. We do, which makes it. it worthwhile. Yeah. Every time I hear, I'm like, oh. Bird reading. Well, I'm going to have to read. I reckon you've got the road. Oh, you'll love that. Oh, I'm going to yeah. have to read the road. She's Definitely. Definitely. Well, that's our show. You can read our show notes, including a list of books we haven't finished yet on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and it's on the Read page. Woohoo! We would also love you to tell us what you're still reading or ask us for a recommendation. Or tell us what you're reading. Yeah. yeah. Or tell us what we should read. Yeah. Tweet us at Mel Library with the hashtag Dear Reader or join the conversation on Goodreads. And don't forget, you can subscribe and download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service. If you like what you're hearing on Dear Reader, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps others find out about us and gives us a nice, lovely feeling. Makes us feel good. Indeed. So, uh, that's it, isn't it? That is it. Let's and signing off for now. Until next time, Until dear next reader. Until next time, dear reader. Bye. Bye. Bye.